This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. We're back very special art of darkness dark room tonight i'm rubbing my hands together i am very excited technically an arto dark room of mm-hmm. course the great french madman of the theater antonin arto who we've covered uh, on this pod on one of yeah. our core episodes i have a theater company with my very good friend who's here to to walk us through this controversial radio play that we have recorded a new version of Amanda Forster. Amanda, how are you? I'm doing great, Kevin. How are you? I am super. I am certain that our new recording of our toes to have done with the judgment of God has something for everybody. Oh, absolutely. Oh, so it's really like a kind of a Christmas kind of like a kind of like a Hallmark movie Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Okay, great. Yeah, it's like a Hallmark <laughs> movie from hell, like a peyote, a bad peyote trip from hell. A little laudanum it... thrown in there. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. excellent. All right, good deal. Indeed. And so, of course, we we encountered to have done with the judgment of God when we were doing our core episode. And Amanda and I are collaborators in the theater. We founded a theater company together, Badmouth Theater Company. It's at badmouthtc.com. This episode is going to have a a pretty unusual shape for an Art of Darkness episode. You can consider it a a holiday special. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, yeah. You could do jingle bells, jingle bells. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> our, toe is, our toe is laying presents under your tree right now uh, get he, ready he's a little grinch like in his later years so i could i yeah. could see this happening yeah well of all the subjects we've covered he is the one who had the most even more than brando went mm-hmm. from being an absolute absolute a-list looking model looking stud to being just a complete goblin and he uh looking dude and with all yeah. due respect and sure. of course he he wrote this play in his goblin when he was in goblin mode right <laughs> hey well something good came out of it i guess yeah all right yeah so i think tonight what we're gonna do is we're all gonna hang out uh we're gonna get to know amanda a little bit man is this is this your first time on art of darkness i i'm not i cannot recall well if- she performed when we did the um spurt ah, of blood right of course of course you've heard amanda before on the spurt of blood recording that we did for the arto episode but it's her first time here as a guest 
Uh, very excited to have you, Amanda. Yeah, excited to be here, guys. I mean, I've listened to a lot of episodes. They're fantastic. And uh, I'm glad that we get to revisit the Goblin. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is this is a, uh, I'm excited to do this. This is going to be great. It's totally appropriate because this year we've all been living in Goblin Town one way or another. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Something like <Yep>. that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so the shape of this episode will be a little conversation at the beginning. We're going to, I've got some of the Arto books that I collected for the core episode. I'm going to talk specifically about this very unusual radio play. And then what I'm going to do is dump, <laughs> I'm going to, like Krampus, I'm going to. <laughs> Uh, come down the the evil chimney into our Telegram chat at t.me slash Art of Dark Pod, and I'm going to drop the episode for the 70-odd folks we have right now in the Telegram, and everyone's going to have the opportunity to listen to this live roughly at the same time uh, with with Brad Kelly, who gets to experience this this Christmas Christmas joy for for the first time himself tonight. <laughs> yeah, we'll get the reaction videos. This will be like, you know, on YouTube and they have like old metalhead listens to a rap song video. It'll be like that, but I'll be listening to uh to have done it's to have done with the favor judgment of, judgment to, of God. Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, have you been naughty or nice this year, Brad? I unfortunately it's pretty close to 50-50. So Okay. All right. I have a feeling See. Brad might become a meme, one yeah. of those reaction memes. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> a lot of this. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Notably obscure podcaster reacts to controversial mid-century French adap- American adaptation of a French radio play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're getting yeah, real who, niche. Yeah, yeah, who came up with this business model, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> we did. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going for all the the tough keywords for sure. Uh, Well, so very exciting. And then what's going to happen is we're going to come back after we we listen to to have done with the judgment of God. Real quickly, the three of us are going to react here. And then we're going to take it to Patreon and the After Dark and go for another 20 or 30 minutes and really get Brad Kelly's feelings about what just happened that's what i'm really curious okay. about yeah. yeah reactions from the telegram yeah mm-hmm. and reality. yep mm-hmm. oh yeah right feelings yeah. comments uh and this play was controversial when it came out i'm going to get into that in a little bit uh but first amanda you're a new guest to the show do you want to tell folks a little bit about yourself what you got going on aside from bad mouth or do you just want to you can just talk about bad mouth whatever you're whatever you feel like yeah, so I'm a uh, founder of Bad Mouth Theater Company with Kevin Kautzman, who's great. And we actually met over the Zoom doing a show when I was living in Washington, D.C. and working there as an actress and as a theater maker, choreographer, director. And uh, I made my way back to the Midwest and we sort of ended up in the same place and we're like, let's form a theater company. Let's make the art, do the culture. Uh And it's been great. And I got a show coming up that I'm going to be doing in North Carolina uh, in beginning of February. And I think there's going to be a film version of it. And it's called Company K based Hmm. off of some poetry um, from 
local playwrights from outside of Greenville. No, oh. what is it? Uh, Asheboro, North Carolina. Asheville? I think that's where Ash. I think it's a smaller town. I think it's okay. Asheboro, oh. but uh, forgive me if I'm wrong. And uh, it's great. It's about uh, soldiers from World War One who were in this Company K left. And none of them came back to this little town. So they had no oh, wow. young men. It's based off of their letters and newspaper clippings. And this this uh, female playwright put it together. And uh, they've had a couple iterations of it, but it's coming back and it's going to be filmed. So I'm really excited huh. about that. Yeah, that, that sounds so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very, I also do some voiceover cool. work and uh, we have our badmouthtc.com play readings available. So go and listen to those. They're absolutely fantastic. They were part of our live play reading series and we're going to continue that in the spring. So lots, lots coming down the pipeline. Good stuff. We also have a plan to truly marry bad mouth to art of darkness (laughs) for art of darkness live, which is tentatively in June. We're going to do Brad's going to be in town because he's going to be the Godfather. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I made him an offer. You know, <laughs> and, so, and so forth. Uh, but in any case, we've got a, a little family affair and we're going to uh, let Art of Darkness ride along. And then Badmouth is going to join us and we're going to do the first 90 minutes of Fitzgerald live, if everything works out. And it and it should and it will. We will make it Why happen. Not? Uh, Why not? Yeah. And so uh, Badmouth is also going to do an adaptation of the great Fitzgerald short story, Winter Dreams, uh, which will also release online. So you don't have to t- uh, to visit Minnesota to enjoy what we got going on, because I know if you're in Hungary, you may yeah. not be able you to might get not direct- make it. Yeah. You might not make it. So <laughs> we appreciate all our listeners everywhere. But if you're in the area, uh, stay tuned. Check out badmouthtc.com. Obviously, you're following Art of Darkness, or at least you've now you've heard about us. So follow along. we got very cool stuff coming. We're trying to use this platform to, to do v- interesting artistic things. Now, I have a, a review <laughs> from the now, it appears now defunct, <laughs> dctheaterscene.com published from 2005 until 2020 so maybe they got they got tired these are the archives <laughs> from from dc theaters maybe they're dealing with long covid yeah, uh, you're you're going to find that this adaptation of to have done with the judgment of god uh, which which I personally adapted and directed and we'll go down the list of who who's who in it uh, before we drop it, uh, includes some excerpts from uh, the theater and its double, particularly Mm. the essay on the theater and the plague, because I have been struck recently, and we'll go into this further down the way, I've been struck struck recently by how right on our toe was and how theatrical plague is when the plague hits we have mm-hmm. dancing nurses mm-hmm. we have people banging pots and pans we mm-hmm. have the media dramatizing it and mm-hmm. it opens a lot of very curious doors that this play uh allows us to explore 
in a very contemporaneous way. I, I think you'll see that even though this play is some decades old and written by a goblin at the end of his life, <laughs> uh, a drug goblin. Yeah. We love, love Arto, but a drug yeah. goblin. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he has a lot to say to us now about my COVID, my pandemic. Hmm. And uh, in any case, so this DC theater scene coincidentally uh, seems to have maybe shuttered in 2020. I wonder what happened. Hmm. Uh, there's a fellow named Jack Marshall. And here, here is his review of a little production that they did at the DC Arts Center in Washington. Hmm. Uh, let me see here. Uh, Jack Marshall. I love plays like this. Really, I just love them. So many thoughts go through one's mind when watching a theatrical production that makes no sense at all, but does so with theatricality, passion, and style. I'm beginning to think Jack is uh, being sarcastic. All sarcastic. The yeah. performance brought back memories of a one-act play festival I attended in high school. <laughs> in one of the entries, like this, a French play, the members of a large family started shouting at each other, suddenly fell to the stage on their hands and knees and began rocking back and forth violently while saying their voices rising in volume, goob, 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 goob. That vivid <laughs> image. Really, we something has got to be done about theater kids. Uh, and and it, it, Amanda, don't, don't you agree, Amanda? <laughs> yep. Uh. <laughs> we need oh. to start a hashtag, not all theater kids. Right? Not all theater kids. <laughs> yeah. Really? Well, in any case, I want to read more. The vivid image has popped into my brain literally hundreds of times since then. Wow, it sounds like he needs a doctor. Yeah. I've seen productions at the Kennedy Center that I wished would have employed the staging device just to terminate some pompous, overpraised slog with Elan. I remember that single feature of the obscure high school one act. Well, no moment in so many other professional productions that brought their audiences to their feet stays with me at all. Well, that's true. Hmm. To have done with the judgment of God had at least one such feature, an actress in a disturbing costume that makes her appear to be turned inside out like a like the pig beast that gets hmm. inverted by the transporter in Galaxy Quest. The pig explodes, <laughs> though, and the actress thankfully didn't. Hmm. Does a slow, jazzy dance across the stage while her organs bounce and her connective tissue dangles and sways. That was memorable. And I doubt that I will ever forget it. How many productions leave us with, with such gifts? The costume was the creation of Stephanie Williams and is worthy of a Helen Hayes award all by itself. Now, the play, it isn't really a play at all. Rather, a series of vignettes makes absolutely no sense. Okay, I disagree. I think our adaptation makes perfect sense. You will see soon. Uh, you'll hear soon. Mm -hmm. It is one of those plays that causes you to wonder if everyone else in the audience is nodding and thinking, how true, how true, <laughs> meaning that you, you must be an idiot. Stoppard, Beckett, and Shakespeare often make me feel this way, come to think of it. In this performance, one of the audience members was overcome by the giggles. Ah, good. And I momentarily thought he had discerned some complex meta-witticism on the cosmos until I realized that he was amused because an actor had said shit. Ah, uh, well. Yeah, yeah it's funny. It comes uh, at the right time. Yeah. Right. Right. We have, we do have an exquisite moment in this uh, uh, radio, this adaptation. I think you're going to, you're going to enjoy Brad. We had, we had to do a pickup with Ian. I'll, I'll explain after okay. uh, on the after dark for Patreon, mm -hmm. patreon.com slash art of dark part. Okay. One more pair here. 
The production includes disjointed references to American schools requiring, requiring ah, you know what? Hmm. I'm going to leave it because it starts to get into it. We'll leave it. it at that. I don't want to spoil it. Um, let's, let's, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the cast and, and who was involved right before yeah. we drop it. I have some, I have from the, the blows and bombs, Anthony Artaud, the biography book from Stephen Barber. I do have, uh, a bit of information about this, uh, about the backstory. I think this would be good to read. Sure. You want to hear yeah. about it? Okay. Yeah, why not? All right. All right. I was toward the end of his life. This was in 47, so in later days. Artaud received an invitation which he believed would enable him to reach an even wider audience. The invitation came from Fernand Poey, head of dramatic and literary broadcasts at the French national radio station. He wanted Artaud to record a long broadcast on whatever subject he desired. Holy hell, playing with fire. <laughs> Artaud could choose his own collaborators and have as much rehearsal time as he needed. If only he had had a podcast. Mm -hmm. The broadcast would be for a series of programs entitled The Voice of the Poets, which Poet was preparing, and would, would be transmitted on the Parisian radio channel. Artaud immediately accepted. The recording would have a far greater scope and potential impact than those he had done in June and July of 46 for a different program. It would give him the opportunity to develop some notes he had been making in September and October toward a performance on the theme of The Last Judgment. For Artaud, the idea of divine judgment had to be disintegrated so that he could determine his own final movements and his own apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, apocalypse mm. and chill. His initial <laughs> idea for the recording was that it would comprise exclamations, interjections, screams, interruptions, interrogations on the putting into question of the last judgment. He decided on the title okay. to have done with the judgment of God. In his last years, Artaud invariably wrote God with a lowercase g as an expression of his contempt for all religions, <laughs> particularly the Christian faith and for what he viewed as their cowardly subjugation of the human body to a fabricated divinity. Edgy. When Artaud... mm -hmm. Yeah, he's an edgelord, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, when Artaud began to choose material for the recording, his concept escalated to include all of his crucial concerns, cries and gestures, psychiatry and madness, the Tarahumaras, language and the new body. In October, he had written a new text on the Tarahumaras peyote dance and decided to include that. He urgently wrote a number of new texts before the recording sessions, including one entitled The Theater of Cruelty, which could not be used in the broadcast because of time constraints. In this text, Artaud pointed to the origins of disease and death in the absence of an authentic theater, which he would create as an amalgamation of violent dances and cries. He formulated his new theater of cruelty as one furious revolt from the destitution of the human body. Artaud was making notes all through the period leading up to the recording sessions, working out how he wanted his recorded language to operate. His principal mm. desire was to cancel out the entire process of mediation and signification. He wanted his work to be immediately and uh, physically experienced. He believed this would be possible through the unique force of his material and its delivery. The hostility which Artaud had felt for representation and repetition in the early 30s had now developed to its most acute point. He conceived of representation as a malicious instrument of social suppression, quoting, 
There is nothing I abominate and shit out so much as this idea of representation. That is a virtuality of non-reality attached to all that is produced and shown as if it were intended in this way to socialize and at the same time paralyze monsters, make the possibilities of, of explosive deflagration, which are too dangerous for life, pass instead by the channel of the stage, the screen, or the microphone, and so turn them away from life. What Artaud was planning for his transmission uh, of his work would resist this process to an extreme degree. I object all signs. I create only machines of instant utility. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, so I, I want to go on because this is what it's about. Uh, we've got maybe about 10 more minutes before they're expecting it. But let me read a few more paragraphs just because it's so interesting and very specifically about the thing we're about to drop. Uh so Artaud asked three of his uh, collaborators to read from his work for the recording. Uh, one of the fellows said he would find Artaud the very best radio producer in, in Paris. Artaud refused, saying that he wanted the worst. <laughs> I want the worst. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we're very, very uh, true to life here as I engineered yeah. this uh, in, in my room. <laughs> we're doing uh, lo-fi. Yeah, we're, we're keeping it real, I think the yeah. kids would say, uh, 10 years ago. That way, he would meet with little interference. Uh, Paul Thevenin was the only one of the four participants who had no professional acting experience, although Artaud had already worked with her, uh, teaching her how she should scream until her breath was exhausted. He allowed her the freedom to choose for herself what she would read, and she decided on a recently written text from one of Artaud's exercise books from October of 47. There was only one reading under Artaud's supervision, uh, and no rehearsal before the recording session. So once again, <laughs> very similar to what we, what yeah, we right. do and did. Yeah, uh, we, we did rehearse a little bit before the final recording, but I think you'll notice that it has the quality of live theater, even though mm -hmm. it is a, a radio play. Um, so yeah, just very, very exciting. So they recorded, well, I'm going to go on. A further recording session was held in January at which Artaud performed long screams, cries, and percussive beatings. These passages of noise were then interspersed between the spoken texts. Uh, texts. Uh, he, uh, one, of, one of his collaborators, performed a dialogue in Artaud's invented language. Artaud called this dialogue the monkey's cage. These creations of noise were extremely important to Artaud. He intended them to fracture the process of representation, cutting across his spoken texts, just as the drawings did with the texts uh, in his exercise books, intensifying his concerns with a gestural eruption. Uh, it goes on. One more here. To have done with the judgment of God has five parts intercut with Artaud's noise effects. The first long section is performed by Artaud himself. Well, in any case, we'll, you'll hear our version of it. What would end up happening... Uh, with to have done with the judgment of God, if I'm not mistaken, is that it was um, it was pulled. There was controversy around it. Yeah. Uh, sure. Let me mm -hmm. let me find some business from the Wikipedia. Brad, what are you at this point? What are you expecting? What do you think you're going to hear in maybe 10 minutes or so? I don't know. I'm kind of expecting uh, in my head what it's going to be is some kind of do you know how there's the uh, people will post things of like a digital video de uh, degraded, like ah. where it's like a person turns their head and then they are right. And they like mm. turn into pixels. I'm kind of expecting like 
some kind of like almost quasi military like propaganda thing that does that. That's kind oh. of okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. you're you're on to something. Okay. You're on to something. It's a lot more than that. And I've been, and of course you'll find that we'll find yeah. out. I'm very excited to to share it with everyone. Here's the here's the Wikipedia about it, which kind of summarizes it all. Uh he recorded to have done with the judgment of God between the 22nd and 29th of November 1947. Now, mm-hmm. what was happening in 1947, Brad? A man. <clears throat> Nothing, mm, nothing much. <laughs> Not a great war. A yeah, second one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> second time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're pretty much done with that, right? So Paris was now had yeah. been liberated. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I know our friend Choron is around. Uh, is around Paris, lurking in the Luxembourg Gardens. He and Arto might have gotten along actually if they had ever met. Um. I don't know, Kevin. Man, what's I, going? I, what, I else is, like, what else is going on? Well, were the when were the Nuremberg trials? Oh well, that's yeah. I don't know what year the good. Nuremberg trials are. That's good. Well, let's but. find out. Yeah, th- those had ended. Those okay. were. Let's see here, nineteen forty-six. Mm, so okay. here's our here's our toe having seen the war, both the wars, uh, mm-hmm. in his in his way. Now writing a play about the Last Judgment. Yeah. Uh, for yeah, intense for Parisian radio yeah. and his culmination of the theater of cruelty. Yes, yes. I am very pleased to have discovered that. I just learned that having read it, uh, because I did weave in those those texts. It felt like a mm. natural thing to do. Uh, so we took some liberties, which hopefully work out. So in any case, um. The work remained true to his vision for the theater of cruelty using screams, rants, and vocal shudders to forward his vision. Vladimir Porsche, the director of French radio, shelved the work the day before its scheduled airing on the 2nd of February, 1948. Oh, this so it was, never did air. Okay. It, oh, wow. I, I think eventually later it would air. And I know that in a, like an, a, a trend. I actually think the original French version aired on some station in LA later. Hmm. It has aired uh, since then, but it was originally shelved. This was partly for its scatological, anti-American, and anti-religious references and pronouncements. This is, uh, I hope, serving as a trigger warning for folks. Uh, (laughs) Just so you know, this is not a usual Art of Darkness episode, and we're not going to editorialize about Arto or his purpose for this. I think what you'll find, and this is one of my favorite things about theater, and maybe, Amanda, you can speak to this a little bit as well, well. Uh, because theater uses text but is not text, you can manipulate text to do effectively anything. And I love that about the theater. Even Shakespeare can be molded, uh, although probably with more difficulty. Uh, You could do an awful lot with a text by adapting it for the theater. Yeah, and I think one of the things that stuck with me is one of uh, Artaud's peers said that he's a painter stuck amongst actors actors mm-hmm. and i thought that was really interesting um yeah, yeah. 
very, very interesting. Yes. Uh, it was also uh, uh, shelved because of its general randomness with a cacophony of xylophonic sounds mixed with various percussion elements. While remaining true to his theater of cruelty and reducing powerful emotions and expressions into audible sounds, Artaud had utilized various somewhat alarming cries, screams, grunts, onomatopoeia, and glossolalia. As a result, Fernand Pouy, the director of dramatic and literary broadcasts for French radio, assembled a panel to consider the broadcast of To Have Done with the Judgment of God. Among approximately 50 artists, writers, musicians, and journalists present for a private listening on the 5th of February, 1948, were Jean Cocteau, and then a list of, uh, I presume, uh, heavies. Mm -hmm. uh, Portia refused to broadcast it, even though the panel were almost unanimously in favor of Artaud's work. Mm -hmm. Poe left his job and the show was not heard again until the 23rd of February, 1948, at a private performance at uh, Teatro Washington. The work's first public broadcast would not take place until the 8th of July, 1964, when the L.A.-based public radio station KPFK played an illegal copy provided by the artist Jean-Jacques Labelle. The first French radio broadcast of, of To Have Done With The Judgment of God occurred 20 years after its original production. Wow. Mm. <clears throat> and Artaud was not happy about this. Uh, so there yeah. you have it. Great art, <laughs> truly censored art, sure, not, yeah. uh, not banned books you can buy at Barnes and Noble. Right. Uh, <laughs> hey but kids, yeah, do you want, do you want the banned books that say exactly what we want you to read? Like, right. Like, <laughs> or or actually like, suppressed. This is actually right. suppressed. Actually yeah. suppressed our adaptation. And this is Badmouth Theater Company's production of To Have Done with the Judgment of God featuring. Kevin. Oh, yeah. God. Sorry. Go ahead. That's no, what I was going to say. Tell tell us who's 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 in it. Well, uh, Amanda, are you? Are you? Can you tell uh, everyone who's involved? Oh my you have gosh! Them handy, I, I, or can I? I can do it. Go um, for it. You so have the list obviously, in front we of you. have we have Amanda Forstrom who is here with us. I'm going to put it in the Telegram night uh, right now, uh, and I also have to cancel this scheduled video chat, which I was using as a countdown. There it is, right on time. It's uploading right now. Okay, so we have Amanda Forstrom, uh, Ian Hathaway. Friend of the show, Michael Backinson, you're going to recognize. Our Badmouth co-founder, Mari Sittner, is in the chorus. There was music, or there is music, original music from my friend Sean Phillips. And it was uh, adapted by and directed by me, Kevin Kautzman, yeah. who you know from, from Art of Darkness. Mm. So it's still uploading. Uh, it just, just when that, when that's done in the telegram and and obviously for, for people who are listening, I'm just going to play it. So you don't have to do a thing. It's right. just going to, we're going to go on mute. It's going to start. You're going to be able to enjoy it. If you're watching on YouTube, I think we're going to sit here. Like we're, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Right. Maybe very, I'll just make the, I'll make, I'll make the video like do this. Like when, uh, in old TV, when you had like a flashback. Just we'll just go yeah. like right. the video will go like this. Yeah. Yeah. Bam. Kapow. <laughs> Crack. <laughs> I wonder what our toe would have made of the 60s Batman series. <laughs> he he might have liked it. He might have liked it. All right, y'all. Do you have it in the telegram? Uh yes, I do. Yes, All right, do. let's go on mute and press play and we'll listen to it. Enjoy.
if people are out of the habit of going to the theater, if we have all finally come to think of theater as an inferior art, a means of popular distraction, and to use it as an outlet for our worst instincts, it is because we have learned too well what the theater has been, namely falsehood and illusion. Cray, pukte, cray. Everything must. Pukte, peck. Be arranged. Lile, cray. To a hair. Pecti lay a. In a fulminating. Cruck ptay. Order. Everything must be arranged in a fulminating order. Cray, pukte, cray, pukte, peck, li lay, cray, pecti lay a. Crook ptay. Everything must be arranged to a hair in a fulminating order. Fulminating. Adjective, expressing vehement protest, as in, public discourse on the subject has been dominated by fulminating politicians. In medicine, of a disease or symptom, having developed suddenly and severely, as in, fulminating appendicitis. I learned yesterday... I must be behind the times, or perhaps it's only a false rumor. One of those pieces of spiteful gossip that are circulated between sink and latrine at the hour when meals that have been ingurgitated one more time are thrown in the slop buckets. I learned yesterday of one of the most sensational of those official practices of American public schools, which no doubt account for the fact that this country believes itself to be in the vanguard of progress. It seems that... Among the examinations or tests required of a child entering into public school for the first time, there is the so-called seminal fluid or sperm test, which consists of asking this newly entering child for a small amount of his sperm so it can be placed in a jar and kept ready for any attempts at artificial insemination that might later take place. For Americans are finding more and more that they lack muscle and children that is not workers but soldiers. And they want at all costs and by every possible means to make and manufacture soldiers with a view to all the planetary wars which might later take place and which will be intended to demonstrate by the overwhelming virtues of force, the superiority of American product and the fruits of American sweat in all fields of activity and of the superiority of the possible dynamism of force. But one must produce. One must, by all possible means of activity, replace nature wherever it can be replaced. One must find a major field of action for human inertia. The worker must have something to keep him busy. New fields of activity must be created in which we shall see at last the reign of all the fake manufactured products of all the vile synthetic substitutes in which beautiful real nature has no part and must give way finally and shamefully before all the victorious substitute products in which the sperm of all artificial insemination factories will make a miracle in order to produce armies and battleships.
No more fruit, no more trees, no more vegetables, no more plants, pharmaceutical or otherwise, and consequently no more food, but synthetic products to satiety amid the fumes, amid the special humors of the atmosphere on the particular axes of atmospheres wrenched violently and synthetically from the resistances of a nature which has known nothing of war except fear. And war is wonderful, isn't it? For it's war, isn't it, that the Americans have been preparing for and are preparing for this way step by step in order to defend this senseless manufacture from all competition that could not fail to arise on all sides. One must have soldiers, armies, airplanes, battleships, hence this sperm which it seems the governments of America have had the effrontery to think of. For we have more than one enemy lying in wait for us, my son, we the born capitalists, and among these enemies Stalin's Russia, which also doesn't lack armed men. All this is very well, but I didn't know the Americans were such a warlike people. In order to fight, one must get shot at, and although I have seen many Americans at war, they always had huge armies of tanks, airplanes, battleships that served as their shield. I have seen machines fighting a lot, but how only infinitely far behind them have I seen the men who directed them, rather than people who feed their horses, cattle, and mules the last tons of real morphine they have left, and replace it with the substitutes made of smoke. I prefer the people who eat off the bare earth, the delirium from which they were born. I mean the Tarahumara eating peyote off the ground while they are born, and who kill the sun to establish the kingdom of Black Knight, and who smash the cross so that the spaces of spaces can never again meet and cross. And, and so, so you, are you are going, going to, hear to hear the dance, dance of, of Tutuguri. The riot of the black sun, and below as if at the foot of the bitter slope, cruelly despairing at the heart, gapes the circle of the six crosses, very low as if embedded in the mother earth, wrenched from the foul embrace of the mother who drools. The earth of black coal is the only damp place in this cleft rock. The right is that the new sun passes through seven points before blazing on the orifices of the earth, and there are six men, one for each sun, and a seventh man, who is the sun, in the raw, dressed in black and in red flesh. But this seventh man is a horse, a horse with a man leading him, but it is the horse who is the sun, and not the man! At the anguish of a drum, and a long trumpet, strange, the six men who were lying down, rolling level with the ground, leap up one by one like sunflowers, not like suns, but turning earths, water lilies, and each leap corresponds to the increasingly somber and restrained gong of the drum, until suddenly he comes galloping at vertiginous speed, the last sun, the first man, the black horse with a naked man, absolutely naked and virgin riding it. After they leap up, they advance in winding circles, and the horse of bleeding meat rears and prances without a stop on the crest of his rock until the six men have surrounded completely the six crosses. Now the essence of the rite is precisely the abolition of the cross. When they have stopped turning, they uproot the crosses of earth, and the naked man on the horse holds up an enormous horseshoe, which he has dipped in a gash of his blood. The pursuit of fecality. There where it smells of shit. It 
it smells of being. Man who could just as well not have shat, not have opened the anal pouch, but he chose to shit as he would have chosen to live instead of consenting to live dead, because in order not to make caca, he would have had to consent not to be. But he could not make up his mind to lose being, that is, to die alive. There is in being something particularly tempting for man, and this something is not other than caca. To exist, one need only let oneself be, but to live, one must be someone. To be someone, one must have a bone, not be afraid to show the bone, and to lose the meat in process. Man has always preferred meat to the earth of bones, because there was only earth and wood of bone, and he had to earn his meat. There was only iron and fire and no shit, and man was afraid of losing shit, or rather he desired shit, and for this sacrificed blood, in order to have shit, that is, meat, where there was only blood, and a junkyard of bones, and where there was no being to win, but where there was only life to lose. Orece modo, tu edire, disa, tau, dari, do padera, coco. At this point, man withdrew and fled. Then the animals ate him. It was not a rape. He lent himself to the obscene meal. He relished it. He learned himself to act like an animal and to eat rat daintily. And where does this foul debasement come from? The fact that the world is not yet formed or that man has only a small idea of the world and wants to hold on to it forever? This comes from the fact that man, one fine day, stopped the idea of the world. Two paths were open to him, that of the infinite without and that of the infinitesimal within. And he chose the infinitesimal within, where one only need squeeze the spleen, the tongue, the anus or the glands. And God, God himself squeezed the movement. Is God a being? If he is one, he is shit. If he is not one, he does not exist, but he does not exist except as the void that approaches with all its forms, whose most perfect image is the advance of an incalculable group of crab lice. You are mad, Mr. American Arto. What about the mast? Miss American Joan of Arc. Yes. I deny baptism and the mass. There is no human act on the internal erotic level more pernicious than the descent of the so-called Jesus Christ onto the altars. No one will believe me, and I can see the public shrugging its shoulders, but the so-called Christ is none other than he who, in the presence of the crab-louse God, consented to live without a body, while an army of men descended from a cross to which God thought he had long since nailed them, has revolted, and, armed with steel, with blood, with fire, and with bones, advances, reviling the invisible to have done with God's judgment." The question arises, what makes it serious is that we know that after the order of this world, there is another. What is it like? We do not know. The number and order of possible suppositions in this realm is precisely infinity. And what is infinity? That is precisely what we do not know. It is a word that we use to indicate the opening of our consciousness toward possibility beyond measure, tireless and beyond measure. And precisely what is consciousness? That is precisely what we do not know. No, 
It is nothingness, a nothingness that we use to indicate when we do not know something from what side we do not know it. And so we say consciousness from the side of consciousness, but there are a hundred thousand other sides. Well, and? Well, and it seems that consciousness in us is linked to sexual desire and to hunger, but it could just as well not be linked to them. One says, one can say, there are those who say that consciousness is an appetite, the appetite for living. And immediately alongside the appetite for living, it is the appetite for food that comes immediately to mind, as if there were not people who eat without any sort of appetite and who are hungry, for this too exists, to be hungry without appetite. Well... And? Well, and the space of possibility was given to me one day, like a loud fart that I will make. <laughs> but neither of space nor possibility did I know precisely what it was, and I did not feel the need to think about it. They were words invented to define things that existed or did not exist in the face of the pressing urgency of a need, the need to abolish the idea, the idea and its myth, and to enthrone in its place the thundering manifestation of this explosive necessity to dilate the body of my internal night, the internal nothingness of myself, which is night, nothingness, thoughtlessness, but which is explosive affirmation that there is something to make room for my body. And truly, must it be reduced to this stinking gas, my body? To say that I have a body because I have a stinking gas that forms inside me? I do not know, but I do know that space, time, dimension, becoming, future, destiny, being, non-being, self, non-self are nothing to me. But there is a thing which is something, only one thing which is something, and which I feel because it wants to get out. The presence of my bodily suffering, the menacing, never tiring presence of my body. However hard people press me with questions, and however vigorously I deny all questions, there is a point at which I find myself compelled to say no, no, then to negation. And this point comes when they press me, when they pressure me, and when they handle me until the exit from me of nourishment, of my nourishment and its milk. And what remains? That I am suffocated, and I do not know if it is an action, but in pressing me with questions this way until the absence and nothingness of the question, they pressed me until the idea of body and the idea of being a body was suffocated in me. And it was then that I felt the obscene and that I farted from folly and from excess and from revolt at my suffocation because they were pressing me to my body and to the very body. And it was then that I exploded everything because my body can never be touched. And what was the purpose of this broadcast, Mr. American Arto? One, this emission of infantile sperm donated by children for the artificial insemination of fetuses yet to be born and which will be born in a century or more. Two, to denounce in this same American people who occupy the whole surface of the former Indian continent a rebirth of that warlike imperialism of early America that caused the pre-Columbian Indian tribes to be degraded by the aforesaid people. Three, you are saying some very bizarre things, Mr. Arto. Four, yes, I am saying something bizarre, that contrary to everything we have been led to believe, the pre-Columbian Indians were a strangely civilized people, and that in fact they knew a form of civil 
civilization based exclusively on the principle of cruelty? Five, and do you know precisely what is meant by cruelty? Six, offhand, no, I don't. Seven, cruelty means eradicating by means of blood and until blood flows, God, the bestial accident of unconscious human animality wherever one can find it. Eight, man, when he is not restrained, he is an erotic animal. He has in him an inspired shudder, a kind of pulsation that produces animals without number, which are the form that the ancient tribes of the earth universally attributed to God. This created what is called a spirit. Well, this spirit originating with the American Indians is reappearing all over the world today under scientific poses, which merely accentuate its morbid infectious power, the marked condition of vice, but a vice that pollulates with diseases, because laugh if you like, what has been called microbes is God. And do you know what the Americans and the Russians use to make their atoms? They make them with the microbes of God. You are raving, Mr. American Arto. You are mad. I am not raving. I am not mad. I tell you that they have reinvented microbes in order to impose a new idea of God. They have found a way, a new way to bring out God and to capture him in his microbic noxiousness. This is to nail him through the heart in the place where men love him best, under the guise of unhealthy sexuality, in that sinister appearance of morbid cruelty that he adopts whenever he is pleased to tetanize and madden humanity as he is doing now. He utilizes the spirit of purity and of a consciousness that has remained candid like mine to asphyxiate it with all the false appearances that he spreads universally through space. And this is why the American Yankee Artaud the Momo can be taken for a person suffering from hallucinations. What do you mean, Mr. American Yankee Artaud? I mean that I have found the way to put an end to this ape once and for all, and that although nobody believes in God anymore, everybody believes more and more in man. So it is man whom we must now make up our minds to emasculate. How's that? How's what? No matter how one takes you, you are mad, ready for the straitjacket. Listen to me. We must place man again for the last time on the autopsy table to remake his anatomy. I say to remake his anatomy. Man is sick because he is badly constructed. We must make up our minds to strip him bare in order to scrape off that animalcule that itches him mortally. God, and with God, his organs. For you can tie me up if you wish, but there is nothing more useless than an organ. When you will have made him a body without organs, then you will have delivered him from all his automatic reactions and restored him to his true freedom. Then you will teach him again to dance wrong side out, as in the frenzy of dance halls, and this wrong side out will be his real place. You are mad. Mad, mad, Mr. American Arto. Mad, 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 mad. mad. He's, He's mad, mad. Insane. insane. He's gone batshit crazy. crazy. The pandemic has gotten, gotten to, him. to him. The plague has he overtaken his mind. mind. He didn't he even didn't get, the, get vaccine. the vaccine. I am the vaccine. Cray, Pukte, Cray. I will tell you again. Pukte, Peck. What has been called microbes. Lile, Cray. Is God. And do you know what the Americans and the Russians use to make their atoms? They make them with the microbes of God. 
Cray, Pucre, Pecre, Lile, Cray, Pecre, Tonight, as the Commander-in-Chief battles his own case of COVID, Americans coast-to-coast coast are coming to terms with yet another summer surge. To mask it seems like up as everyone COVID is getting it in some again. form or another. More than 45 million people live in communities with high the levels of The U.S. this week passed COVID a jarring cases. benchmark. That's More than 90 million reported COVID cases since week. the pandemic as began. As in the last two weeks, they're up roughly 16%. Deaths up 28%. The highly contagious BA5 subvariant... Postscript. The archives of the little town of Cagliari in Sardinia contain the account of an astonishing historical fact. One night at the end of April or the beginning of May, about 20 days before the arrival at Marseille of the Grand Saint Antome, a vessel whose landing coincided with the most amazing outbreak of the plague in that city's memory, Saint Remis, the viceroy of Sardinia, whose reduced monarchical responsibilities had perhaps sensitized him to the most pernicious of viruses, had a particularly afflicting dream. He saw himself infected by the plague he dreamed was ravaging the whole of his tiny state. Beneath such a scourge, all social forms disintegrate. Order collapses. He observes every infringement of morality, every psychological disaster. He hears his body fluids murmuring within him, tomb failing in a dizzying collapse of tissue. His organs grow heavy and gradually turn to carbon. But is it too late to avert the scourge? Even destroyed, even annihilated, organically pulverized and consumed to his very marrow, he knows we do not die in our dreams, that our will operates even in absurdity, even in the negation of possibility, even in the transmutation of the lies from which truth can be remade. He wakes up, ah, these rumors about the plague, these miasmas of a virus from the Orient. He will know how to keep them away now. And how will he keep them away, Mr. American Arto? With theater, of course. And what kind of theater, Mr. American Arto? First of all, we must recognize that the theater, like the plague, is a delirium and is communicative. The mind believes what it sees and does what it believes. That is the secret of the fascination. Nor does St. Augustine's text question for one moment the reality of this fascination. Perhaps the theater is a poison. Injected into the social body, it disintegrates it, as St. Augustine says, but at least it does so as a plague, as an avenging scourge, a redeeming epidemic in which credulous ages have chosen to see the finger of God, and which is nothing but the application of a law of nature, whereby every gesture is counterbalanced by a gesture, and every action by its reaction. The theater, like the plague, is a crisis which is resolved by death or cure. And the plague is a superior disease because it is a total crisis after which nothing remains except death or an extreme purification. Similarly, the theater is a disease because it is the supreme equilibrium which cannot be achieved without destruction. It invites the mind to share a delirium which exalts its energies. And we can see to conclude that from the human point of view, the action of theater, like that of plague, is beneficial for 
impelling men to see themselves as they are. It causes the mask to fall, reveals the lie, the slackness, baseness, and hypocrisy of our world. It shakes off the asphyxiating inertia of matter, which invades even the clearest testimony of the senses. And in revealing to collectivities of men their dark power, their hidden force, it invites them to take in the face of destiny a superior and heroic attitude they would never have assumed without it. And the question we must now ask is whether in this slippery world, which is committing suicide without noticing it, there can be found a nucleus of those capable of imposing this superior notion of the theater, those who will restore to all of us the natural and magic equivalent of the dogmas in which we no longer believe. From coast to coast, applause for today's heroes. Now, Americans are creating new ways to help our nation's healthcare workers and first responders. I would like people to know that there is hope and there's something that we can all do. In New Orleans, Devin DeWolf is mobilizing relief for the front lines by organizing food deliveries. Inspired by the fight in his wife, Annalise, an ER doctor. What is that moment like to, to just get a, get a bit of relief? China's largest city remains under a strict COVID lockdown tonight, affecting more than 26 million residents, with most being forced to remain indoors. Here's CBS's Elizabeth Palmer. No one dreamed they'd ever see this. Shanghai, China's cosmopolitan dynamo, empty and silent. At night, between the high rises, a drone tells people to follow COVID rules and bizarrely not to sing on their balconies. During the day, there's a frantic push by the government to get food to millions shut into their homes. But it hasn't reached everyone. And social media showed protests in some neighborhoods. In this one, the crowd shouts, we are starving. While last week, a man was filmed venting his fury on the phone. What am I supposed to buy, he shouts. What do I eat? You're driving us to our deaths. Construction crews have converted Shanghai's convention center into a vast isolation ward for 50,000 beds. Anyone who tests positive has no choice. As one patient posted on TikTok, I had to board this special bus and then check in to a facility filled with bunks and staff in hazmat suits. There's been economic fallout from this gigantic lockdown too. Trucks aren't moving, and the volume of goods leaving Shanghai by ship is down more than 25% in a month. That's gonna push up prices everywhere, including in the US.
nothing changes. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Woo! Well, not, well, first, just nice work on that, guys. Just before we talk about the what it was exactly. That was really well put together. So amazing. I'm super impressed. Um, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I am the vaccine. Uh, uh, I may have taken the liberty to write that line. Well, oh, we're going to go. Okay. We're going to go. I, I didn't write very many original lines for this, but I did try to give it a shape. Brad, I'm glad you got to listen to it. Uh, yeah. Looks like a few people cool. maybe checked it out in the uh, Telegram. So that's yeah. fun. Obviously, everybody listening to it now. We appreciate you. You listening. Uh, bringing back old timey radio on Art of yeah. Darkness. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if people are going to uh, think that there's been there's been an invasion of our toes. This isn't yeah. uh, <laughs> War of the Worlds. Right, but hopefully right, right. it's given you something to chew on. I've listened to it many times now in the process of sure. engineering it and editing it. There is a lot going on in that thing. There, There is. There is. I mean, there are there's a while there where I'm like, wait, this is like some kind of like uh uh creation myth almost it's some kind of like uh yeah i i can't quite articulate what i mean by that yet but like there there's something about it like yeah it's like the let let's go into it in the after dark so so we're going to talk about it more trying to deal with patreon that's all good patreon.com slash short of dark pod i've got another excerpt from the blows and bombs book that i'm going to read on the after dark as well about goes a little further into what happened when the uh radio director first heard this (laughs) (laughs) you're mad Mr. Yeah. Arto. Yeah. <laughs> and how upset Arto was. Uh, mm-hmm. you know us by now. We're Art of Darkness. Amanda Forstrom. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the pod. We're gonna we're gonna take a quick break, come back, and then do another 30 minutes for the after dark for Patreon. Find us at Badmouth Theater Company too. We do more. If you like this, uh, we're gonna do more like it. And that is at badmouthtc.com. All right. Thanks, Amanda. So good to see you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I love listening to it again. And then watching Brad listen to it for the first time was just (laughs) amazing uh, because it's a lot. So thank you guys. It's great. All right. right. We'll come back and I guess reconstruct it. I don't think this is something you deconstruct. (laughs) We're going to come back and reconstruct it on the app. We'll try. We'll do our best. (laughs) I did it. I still don't know what it means. (laughs)